Track and field fans, halfway through this week's podcast, I remember Friday is Jonathan's birthday, and I forgot to give him a gift, but you can help out. We just said that everyone that signs up for the Supporters Club between now and the end of Friday, all the money is going to Jonathan Galt. So make it a birthday for him to remember. Sign up today. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. John, you want us to give him a discount code? You might get more signups, but the discount price is less. What do you think? I think the people deserve a discount code. Well, then give it to them. Okay. Use the code birth birthday, I think. Birthday for 25% off. Code birthday, 25% off. That's three months, th- three months free of an annual subscription. So basically pays for itself. And you got to sign up for an- the annual subscription because that's the one you get the free t-shirt, which is, you can get the long sleeve $35 value. I mean, this thing is like really... This thing is like free. All the money's going to John. If like 10,000 people sign up, the site could go bankrupt, but John will be rich. So do it. Tell your friends, everyone, bankrupt the, the Joe Bros. Because if we go bankrupt, maybe John will take over. I'm not sure how that works. Sign up today. Let's run.com slash subscribe code birthday. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We had a crazy weekend of racing, beginning with American records in the 3,000 and 5,000 meters in Boston by Yara Deguse and Woody Kincaid. We're pleased to say that we'll be joined by both men on a special episode of the Let's Run.com podcast tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. But today, we're going to break it down, classic Let's Run analysis with Robert Weldon and John We've got Drew Bosley taking down the collegiate record as well in Boston, Joe Klecker joining the Sub-13 club, and Hobbs Kessler running 739 at age 19. Then at the Dr. Sander invite in New York, RJ Wilson showed she still owns the armory, and Caitlin Tui broke Jenny Simpson's NCAA mile record by running 424. Out west, the University of Washington had eight men under four minutes in the mile in the same race, and across the pond, Mo Farah is returning to the London Marathon. It says 2023 will be his final year as a professional athlete. While Keely Hodgkinson opened up her season by running a world indoor best of 123.41 for 600 meters. I am Jonathan Galt. I am joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Weldon Johnson, for another stimulating hour, hour and a half of track discussion. Robert, well then, welcome to the show. Great to be here. We'd love to be joined by you, the listener. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google, you can actually pick up the phone and reach us, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. John, I'm not sure if I've ever been on Cloud9 quite as high as I have been right now. What a week for me. What a week. Everybody knows I'm the guy that started the year to go bandwagon back in the fall of 2020, 2020. Yeah. I predicted after just an obscure cross-country race that he would make the next year's Olympic team. I guaranteed it. He did it. Now he is the fastest American in history. Indoors are out at 3,000. As a former high school math teacher, my stats here reveal that he just improved his 
3,000 PB by 9.89 seconds. You guys realize if he does that again, he might be the greatest runner in history. He's only 7.57 seconds away from Daniel Komen's 720.673,000 world record, which is regarded as the greatest world record in the books. Kind of scary to think about. So that was big to see that. And then the 5,000 record, which is so exciting. And then also, I received an email from a Supporters Club member. If you're not a Supporters Club member, you're really missing out. You're not a true Trek fan because we have a bonus podcast, the second podcast called The Friday 15. When we started it, we promised you only 15 minutes, but it's basically a full podcast every week. Vincent writes in, Robert, your point about shading the sun is the best thing I've ever heard on any podcast ever. That's right, folks. You missed out because on Friday's podcast, I solved global, global warming in a funny and hilarious but serious way. I've actually read several papers on the matter. You just ripped off Mr. Burns's plan from the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode of The Simpsons, but... I guess maybe you didn't see that one. Well then, you were in New York over the weekend. I was in Boston. It's a great time. Are you as excited as Robert? Are you on cloud nine right now like he is? No, John, I'm not. But an amazing weekend of track and field. First, I I got a text from you. Let me just pull it up here. Sorry, scrolling through all past all the texts about the football games this weekend. Here it is. 728 for Nagus at BU. Fastest ever, Ben American indoors are out. Kevin Morris is sending photos. Hey, American record. I was just sort of, I'm like, he's saying fastest ever, Ben American indoors are out. I just wrote back, huh? Because I don't think anyone expected American record. Now, I spoke to Dathan Rittenheim, the OAC's coach afterwards. We'll link to that in the show notes. He was saying, you know, he thought he could run, I think, 7.30 to 7.32, which isn't that far off. And then later I get a text. Everyone thought the 5K was the race to watch. I didn't watch that one either live. From Robert, 12.51. I thought that was a joke. I didn't look until like an hour later to actually go confirm the results. And then I saw all the post-race interviews, everything. I hadn't seen the race. Finally, I saw the last two laps of this race. We'll link to that as well. You have to see this. Oh, my God. Woody Kincaid's kick was sick. Joe Clacker set this thing up. Woody should send Joe. I don't know what American record bonus gets you these days. Maybe not much at the BU track. We can talk about that later. But he should send Joe a little portion of his bonus check. But that last 200, unbelievable. And... That, I love it when you're sort of shocked with about, about records. That's what the sport needs. We need head-to-head matchups and shocking performances. Now, you know, whether we need people breaking American records like three or four hours apart at the same meet that isn't designed at all for fans, that's a whole separate issue. Yeah, it was interesting. That was, I said in my article, the greatest night of track and field in the history of the Boston University track. I've been going to meets there for close to a decade now. Two huge American records in the same night, but the 3K, the atmosphere was pretty good because there was still a lot of the college teams there. It was earlier in the day. By the 5K, though, a lot of the people had filed out. There were still some people on hand, but you know, this isn't a meet geared towards spectators. Most of the seats in the stands are taken up by college athletes or coaches, that sort of thing. The atmosphere, it was an amazing race, like you said, Weldon. 
it was reminiscent of 2010 when there's an American record attempt set up for Galen Rupp at Peyton Jordan in the 10,000 meters. And then Chris Selinski, who no one expected, comes in, steals the show, and breaks away the last three laps, becomes the first American under 27 minutes. This one was similar to this. It wasn't an American record attempt by Joe Klecker. It was a sub-13 attempt. But he was the guy that was hype around Woody Kincaid. He's in the race, but he's not even running for the Bowman Track Club. He's just stepped away from them. We don't really know what kind of shape he's in. And then he's hanging with Joe. He gets dropped. He comes back in true Woody Kincaid fashion. Blows him away. 26-27 last lap. 12-51-61. It was an amazing race. But yeah, BU... It's the fastest track probably in the world indoors, but it's not desi- these things aren't designed as spectator events. They're designed as just record attempts. Yeah, a lot of these events aren't spectator friendly, but hey, that's what Let's Run's for. We aggregate it from all over the world, all the information you need to do and make sense of it. I do think we're the voice of the fans. Like, no one thinks about the fans. I mean, I was guilty of that when I was at Cornell and I didn't. We just put on meets that lasted 12 hours. We didn't care. But uh, one thing, John, I, I want to ask you is I have the total opposite impression. I think you just spread fake news. I, now, middle, I didn't watch the 3,000 live, but I've watched the video replay of the 3,000, and I watched the 5,000 live. To me, the atmosphere for the 5,000 was much better. Everybody knew this was the race. They were going for sub-13. The announcer was doing it in the stadium. The announcer on the broadcast was pumped for the American record. We knew what was going on, and we ended up with the race, and it was exciting. People celebrated. The 3,000... To me, I think this is the was like a more like he was. You had no idea what was going on. You would have no different than this was a school record versus the American record. It was in the middle of the meet. Nobody was paying attention. True or false? Sorry. Yeah. That no. That is accurate. Um, what I would say, I guess, more people were in the building for the three k. The atmosphere. Sorry. Now that you say that, yes, the atmosphere was better, especially because the five k was a race. You know, everyone loves a big come from behind last lap. That's what we got from Woody Kincaid. But there were more people there for the 3,000. And yeah, the 3,000 actually was surprising because he crossed the line. He ran 728. I immediately knew. I'm like, holy crap. He just broke the American record. That wasn't announced right away on the loudspeaker. I think people knew 728 was fast, but no one thought he was going for the American record. So yeah, I agree with you on that. But I thought the best atmosphere for the entire meet was actually the second heat of the mile because that was when Steven Jackson of BC, he won the race in 357. He was the first BC athlete ever under four minutes. He's got a whole cheering section right at the finish line. They're going insane and mobbing him and hitting him. You have a bunch of other guys breaking four minutes in that race who are going bonkers because it's the first time they've done it. That I thought was... Standing at the, I was standing at the finish line, so maybe I'm biased, but I think that was the moment that I saw the most excitement in the stadium, not the American records. And then they file out and get on their buses, well, I guess the BC students, and go home and miss the American record, right? Yeah. That's the problem. This is a college track meet. It's not designed for fans. We need to have a new rule for track meets in general. One, maybe like performances don't count unless there's some world athletics status. What do you mean? This rule just got in place this year. You need to be added to the world athletics calendar. Was this meet on there? Yes. Okay. Then the performance must occur during a time period when after there's like 
the national anthem. There must be a set time window of under two hours when the performance must occur. Three out. We'll give it three hours. I'm looking at the at the. I was debating. Hey, New Balance Grand Prix this weekend. Indoor Grand Prix in Boston at the new facility. I been so excited about this facility. Maybe I'll come up. I'm looking at the schedule. When is the starting point when fans are supposed to show up? Needs need to think of fans. The sport There's, needs to think of fans. At the Dr. Sander invite this weekend, it had a big schedule, but there at least was a starting point. It said national anthem. Okay, well, this is just because you only show up to meets when the national anthem is played. If there wasn't a national anthem, you'd just be in your hotel the whole weekend. There, no, there's a simple solution to the BU one. We have two, you put the top section of every event in a one hour window. And that's those are the pro races. And if you're not in the pro heat, you just run the, the second section or the third section like everything else. It's not on TV, but that's how you fix it. Say, the Boston, the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, they have a TV window. It's going to be about two hours or something. That's that's when you show up. That's pretty easy to understand. Then that needs to be designated on the schedule. If you're a fan looking at this thing, you're like, wait, I don't want to go to track me for five hours if you're a casual fan. It needs to be on the schedule. This is the window we want fans to show up. Can we not waste people's time about this? Nobody cares. We're not trying to solve track's popularity. We're trying to talk about these amazing performances. This did prove to me, though, once and for all, and I think COVID did as well, something that I read in a book called Scorecasting by Tobias Maskevitz and John Wertheim, the, I think ESPN guy, about basically they've done studies in this. Fans, the, the athletes always saying, oh, the fans inspire me. It's bogus. It doesn't impact the performance. It might impact the referees. That's all they've ever figured out. But Nagus ran this amazing time with no fans, nobody paying attention. That was actually probably the performance of the day. We can debate which record is better. But I just, I loved, I heard about the 728. And I was like, wow, that's really good. And I immediately Google. I didn't look. I'm like, is that the fastest American time ever? I'm like, yes, it is. But then I, I decided to watch the 5,000 live only because I knew it happened to be going on. And John, you said it best. It's just like the 2010 race when they had the placards of Galen Rupp, American record holder, made up on, on sticks. And then they, someone found them in the trash afterwards. By the way, if someone has a copy of that, I will pay you $1,000 for it. It was either a T-shirt or I thought it was a game rub's face on a stick in Stanford when Solinsky beat it. This was the same thing. Like, I was excited. My guy, you're near Nagus. We can talk about his performance in a minute. Got the record. But I'm seeing Klecker, and they're on pace, and they're on hot. And I'm seeing Woody, who likes, always falls off and has the super kick. I'm like, Woody, stay on there. And he goes around the college guy, and he's staying in there. But then he starts to fall off three laps to go. And right when the announcer says, this is Klecker against the clock, I thought, no, it's not. No, it's not. And I was rooting for Woody. Journalist John doesn't root. I do root. I just, I love the OAC. I think they're great for the sport. But I'm always deep down rooting for the underdog. And Woody's a little bit of underdog. He's been forgotten. He's a, he's a vagabond. He's a free agent. And he just kicks this guy down. It was just awesome. Uh, I didn't want everything. I don't want the OAC to be, oh, they walk on water. And I think we saw a flaw with Joe Klecker. We saw why he's never going to medal on the track. He needs to move the marathon. Well, I don't think he's going to be good at the marathon either. He's too big. So I'm going to get depressing. I got some depressing news for Joe Klecker fans later in the show. John Darty rolling his eyes. But well, Joe Ray just ran 12.54, the hardest effort of his entire life. That's an incredible time. And you're just saying, oh, yeah, sorry, Joe. That's a great run, but you're never going to medal, which is one of the hard. I mean, it's incredibly 
very, very hard to do to medal as an American in the 5,000. I mean, to medal in any event, it was obviously tough. But yeah, no, this was a fantastic race. I'll admit also on the Nagoose thing, I'm taking the L on this. Earlier this week on Twitter, Sam Parsons, the German 5,000 runner who runs in the US, he said, American and collegiate records on standby this weekend on Twitter. And then I responded and I said, you think Yard's running 729 in a race where they're shooting for 737? I know he's supposed to be fit right now, but that ain't happening. It didn't happen. He ran 728. But in my defense, look, I'll take the L. But in my defense, that was never for one second a 737 race. If they had been trying to run 737, Yara doesn't break the American record. They went out faster. He kept going. He ran the last 1,200 meters alone. It was an amazing effort. And I mean, it's stunning. He ran faster than Grant Fisher, who had one of the best seasons ever by an American last year. Ran faster than Galen Rupp in his prime. It was an amazing run, but they were shooting for faster than 737. That's all I'll say. John, what did Sam reply? Oh, he he actually kind of agreed with me. He said, Toll Task, you were right. I think Yard's capable of 733, 734 if he has help after the pace it drops up. And I don't think Bosley will be far behind. Well, never mind. That doesn't matter, John. Sam is with Tim and Elite. They're very popular. I I guess your spot's on the line now. Maybe we'll, we'll alternate you and you and Sam every other week. I mean, being an owner of the podcast, can't kick me off, John. I'm sorry. Let's break down this in a goose performance so that we can talk about Clucker. But I'm just so pumped for him because he makes the Olympic team, doesn't get to run in the Olympics. Then he goes back to Notre Dame, bombs to try to win the NCAA team title on cross country, bombs that race, sets a 3K record indoors last year, but gets hurt, misses the outdoor season, doesn't go to NCAAs. And I'm like, did this guy just cost himself a ton of money? I don't know what his contract situation is, but if he did lose a lot of money, it's coming back in. It's coming back in. But is this kind of also proof positive? Like, I don't know. Should we have seen this coming? And I'm dead serious. If you're a shoe company, you should, you know, like NFL, when, what do colleges do, John, when they're hiring a head coach? They do interviews. But they often do what? They often hire a consulting firm, right? I guess so. To give them candidates. Shoe companies, give me, pick up the phone and give me a call. Because it's easy to say it now, but should we have seen this coming? Like, who's going to improve the most? I mean, obviously signing an NCAA 1500-meter champion to a contract who's the collegiate record on the 3000 is not like, I mean, it's not like it's, this is a six-round draft pick. But I don't think it was clear this guy was going to be a superstar as a pro. But taking a step back, maybe we should have been. Like, what do we have here? We have, I know he's born in Washington, D.C., but we have East African genetics getting the best coaching and the best technology. I've always said, if you brought it, if you got it, I always thought the American coaching was better than what they're getting in Kenya. And it may be changing now with Peter saying, but 15, 20 years ago when we started Let's Run, and we saw this with Mo Fair. You get an East African genetics, give them Salazar-type coaching, they just wreck the world. We saw it with Kajelcha, indoor world, world record. And we're seeing it Robert, with- there's so there's six there's thousands of runners of East African genetics living in America, born in America. What's your point? Well, I'm just saying, if you're looking for higher upside, that might be somewhere to start. 
Also, you've got a guy that had never lived or trained at altitude. A lot of these other guys are already spending their entire college career at NAU or Colorado at altitude. This guy is at sea level. So he's going to get the altitude. The main reason I would sign him is he's going to get the altitude jump and B, he's going to get the nerd, nerd, nerd bump. This is a guy, you know, that was on the bowling team in high school and was on the science fair. They, somehow, and we can talk about this in the interview when we interview him for tomorrow's bonus podcast. Like some PE teacher thought in eighth or ninth grade, this guy was talented. doesn't say why. And they're trying to find him down. And some school administrator finds him in class. And it's like, Hey, what, what's your extracurriculars? What sports do you do? He's like science club. So he takes his academics seriously. Like Weldon did, like a lot of Stanford guys do like Grant Fisher. When he actually is not having to study all this time of day and he starts training full time, he's going to improve a lot. So I think those things together explain this. He was already really good in college, but he's never been to altitude A. And B, he was taking his academics really seriously, and that was hurting him. So he's made this huge jump. Well, obviously, we're not going to get another huge jump because he would be better than Coleman. Yes, Robert, I think the last two points you made there about the altitude and the studies are on the money because that's exactly what Yard said when I spoke to him after the race. He said... He was now sleeping and training and like a full-time professional athlete, recovering more, which is not what he was doing at Notre Dame. Remember, this is a guy who wanted to go to dental school. This was his whole plan. He had it mapped out. He's like, all right, I'm going to go to Notre Dame. Then I'm going to become a dentist. And that's like, oh, I made the Olympics. Guess I got to change my plans up. So yeah, that's definitely part of it. We saw it a bit with Grant Fisher too. Remember, Grant was taking academically challenging classes at Stanford. He gets out. He starts training as a pro. He has a big breakthrough. So I think your point's well taken there on Nagus. And the other thing is, look at his last season. Okay, he so outdoors, USA's, I guess he was still banged up, maybe, or just didn't have the weeks of training underneath him. He only gets 11th in that race. Almost made it to Worlds, though, because not that many people had standards. Like, if he was 6th or 7th, I think he still could have gone. But then after Worlds, he takes a bit of a break. He comes back. And just starts winning everything. He wins in Memphis. He wins at Solo Tamila. He goes to Europe. He wins in Lausanne in a pretty rainy race. And then he runs 333 in Padua in his last race of the season. And those aren't performances that people would say, oh my God, he ran like 330, 331. They're not diamond leagues. But he was stacking together wins. And if you were watching those races, you could tell, okay, put this guy in a fast race. He's capable of even more, you know, he's getting up there to world class. So then he comes back, he stacks on a few healthy months of training in Boulder. He's got Oli Hoare and Mario Garcia Romo, two of the top milers in the world to train with. They're pushing him. He's got top coaching with Ritz. Yeah, look, I still wasn't expecting 728. Even Ritz admitted he wasn't expecting 728. But I think he was primed for a breakthrough this year. And John, you're missing one race from last year. The cross champs in Austin. <laughs> of course. No, I'm serious. He was second place in that race, John. He beat Joe Klecker in a cross-country race. Joe Klecker clearly had to be in somewhat decent shape. He just broke the American record for 5K. And this Myler guy... Well, he didn't, but... Or, excuse me. Broke. Came close. Ran 12.54. And this Myler whooped his butt in an AK cross country. I mean, that I, I remember at the time, like, wow, that's a really good run. 
you guys are making some good points. I mean, 333 for the win in Padua is probably a 330 in a Diamond League, 331. And when we interview him, I want to know, is he, is he just taking it to these guys in, in practice now? Like, he had already beaten Ollie Hoare in college. Remember, when he won the NCAA title, Hoare was behind him. And this OAC group is sick. They've got Hoare. He's the fifth fastest model in the world last year, 330.12. Mario Garcia-Roma, who was fourth at Worlds, 330.20, is the seventh fastest. Nagus was 17th. So they got three of the 17 fastest guys in the world all in one training group, which is sick. Now, where do we think – what is Nagus going to do this summer? The one thing, if I'm looking for neg- – not negatives, but, you know, John gets mad when I immediately say, oh, they're never going to win the gold medal. But he's clearly fit. He clearly can run fast. I mean, he accelerated the pace when the rabbits stopped. And, but he's not real speedy. He's only, he's only got like one 800 result that I can see 148. Now that's kind of, who does that remind me of? He's like, basically like an Ingebrigtsen type. Like, is he going to move towards the 5,000? Is he going to be a 15.5 guy? Or is his endurance not quite that? He's just pure 1500 meters. I mean, all these guys have great endurance. We, we don't, I mean, Centrowitz is a little speedier 800, but he's running 13.5 for 5,000. So, all of these guys can go from 15 to 5, or most of them can. You know, I guess uh, Jake Whiteman kind of a, can't. But I'm just, I don't know. I, the one thing I've never seen with him, right, John, is like if he's in a tactical race, although his NCAA win was a 341 race, but I guess most of the tactical 1500s aren't, most of the championship 1500s now aren't tactical anymore. But I don't know. Would he be vulnerable like in a slower race, do you think? I don't know about that. I actually have the opposite take to you, Robert. This 728 shows me this is a big deal to me because this shows he's strong as hell and he can survive now in the way that championship 1500s are run in Worlds and Olympics, which is fast pretty much from the gut. So now he's strong enough to do a 728. But remember, when he won his NCAA indoor title, sorry, his NCAA outdoor title in 2019, it was a kicker's race. He beat Justin Kipritich by about a few thousandths of a second. He ran down Grant Fisher at NCAA Indoors in the DMR that year and outkicked him. And even, okay, 2021, he gets beat by Cole Hawker at NCAA Outdoors. He's still closed fast as hell. He just got beat by an incredible performance by Cole Hawker. So, okay, do we know if he has 144 or 145, 800 speed yet? Not sure. That's still TBD. But I think he's showing he might have what it takes. He might have enough to medal at a global championships in a 15. And I think it's going to be very interesting. We're going to have a terrific, terrific, uh, want to make a mile in two weeks at Milrose because Nagus is in there. Mario Garcia Romo's in there. Cole Hawk is in there. And Ollie Hoare is in there. And Ollie Hoare, I didn't even, I know he didn't even make the final last year at worlds, but he won the Commonwealth and he was one of the t- best milers in the world last year. Seeing how Nagus can go against those guys in the mile in what probably is going to be a pretty fast race, I, I'm very fascinated to see. But I think the 728 was a big sign for him. I think this is why we're, why the 1500 is the best event in track and field, particularly in the men's side right now. I mean, without a doubt, right? Because you've got so many good names, but there's also doubt. We're not sure who's going to win. It kind of reminds me of the NFL. Like, we had four teams last weekend. Any of the four could win the Super Bowl. Like, Ingebrigtsen, you think, okay, he should win, but if he's going to lead the whole thing, is he going to win? And then there's all these really good guys behind him. You know, I, could he medal? Yes. Because, I mean, Cole Hawker, sixth in the Olympic Games. Mario Garcia-Romo, fourth in the Olympic, fourth in the World Championships. Like, the top NCAA miler 
when it's a loaded year, it's pretty damn good. By the way, Justin Kipchoge, where is that guy? Someone help me out. Like, talent doesn't go away. I'd love to know what he's up to. But there was a result behind him in this race. Well, there was some other, there was more than one result. I mean, there was. I mean, Sam Atkin, British record, 731. Drew Bosley, NCAA record, 736. Obviously very impressive performances. But I think I know where you're going with this one, Robert. You want to talk about Hobbs Kessler, right? I did, but it's also amazing to me that Sam Atkin, can we give this guy some props? I mean, I know he's with Puma now for a while. He was unsponsored. He's run faster than Mo Farah ever has, period. 3,000 meters. Than any Indoor. Brit. It's insane. Indoors are out for 3,000. Okay, I'm glad to hear he's got a sponsor. I was about to say the exact same thing. I'm like, how is this dude unsponsored? So thank you, Puma. Like, And he kind of does it on his own, right, John? Yeah, so remember Sam Atkin... Back in 2016, I believe, he made headlines because he beat Edward Cheserite. This was when Cheserite was invincible at the NCAA level. And Sam Atkin went to Lewis Clark, which is an NAIA school in Idaho. He showed up at one of the Oregon home meets and beat Ed Cheserite in a 3000. We were like, what the hell? Who is this guy? But then I'm like, okay, you're beating a prime Ed Cheserite. You're pretty damn good. He essentially stayed in Idaho for a few years with his college coach, Mike Collins. And he was running well. Then he made the Olympics 2021. He ran 27-24. He was running times that pretty much in any other time in history would be getting you a sponsorship contract, and he couldn't find a deal. He finally signed with Puma last spring. Didn't have really a great championship season, but he's been running fast. I think that's the next step for him is to see if he can actually make it happen in these big Euro and World and Olympic championships. But he said there's a big weight off his shoulder now because before he was trying to scrape together money just to go to training camps and do all this stuff. Now he doesn't have to worry about that. He can focus hundred percent on his running and his racing and just starting to pay off. And he's not, he's not, he's not identical to twin. He's a twin. Isn't his twin sister like miss UK or something like that, John? Yeah. We, I think when you guys figure that out, we started following her on Instagram and it's, she still pops up in our feed every once in a while. I mean, I remember last year there was talk. People were like, ship him out the Let's Run single. He'll run in it. And I, I don't think he made the cut. Well, we, we should have. Because I think uh, Texas, didn't he go to the same college as Texas Runner Girl's husband? Like, I was hanging out with him at pre. Like, he says, oh, hey, here's Sam. I'm like, should have paid him more attention. I apologize. But that, that, that win over um, Treasurek. It reminds me of Woody King. People act like Woody Kincaid came out of nowhere to set this American record. We're going to talk about Woody in a minute, but Woody did beat Galen Rupp. Remember that in 2016? Justin Knight won the race. It was a Portland Track Festival race. Justin Knight, 1326. Woody Kincaid, 1327-32. Galen Rupp, 1327-34. People think that's what got him on the, on the bottom. But anyways, back to this 3,000. Hobbs Kessler, right? Yeah, I mean, behind Nagus, and significantly behind, I think he ran 739, but... We have Hobbs Kessler, 19-year-old American. This is the U.S. under-20, 1,500-meter record holder. Did this in high school, 334, I think. Last year, runs 336. But I'm like, I got close to the PB. He had an outlier year. He's getting close to it. Could this be a big year? I think we're seeing this. 739 at age 19 is the fastest any Americans run. Um, as a teenager, he's not eligible for under-20 records, though, because he turns 20 pretty soon. Amazing run. And it gets me to the question, should we just cancel the 20... 24 U.S. Olympic trials. I mean, USATF needs to save money. 
they need to save money for Max Siegel's salary. So we canceled the 1,500-meter trials. It'll save them a little money. They won't have to have an official. They could condense the meet, probably save 15, 20 bucks. And we just named the team now. And everybody happy with that, right? Uh, I think Matthew Stenchowitz is going to have a problem with that, Robert, because I don't think, I think you're forgetting on that guy, sleeping on that guy. Well, we've got Cole Hawker. He was six in the last Olympics. He's, how old is he? 21. God. Nagoose is 22 and Hobbs Kessler is 19. Robert, none of those guys actually made the team last year. So uh, I'm going to pump the brakes on your suggestion. I do think they're all huge talents. The Kessler thing I was very excited by, though, because he ran 739 at age 19. He would be a sophomore in college right now. If you look at NCAA history, only three guys have run under 740 in the 3K. It's Yard Nagoose, Alistair Craig, and Drew Bosley. So Hobbs Kessler would be number four on that list if he was in college at the moment. And after the race, I talked to him. He's got a great support system there in Ann Arbor. His dad was at the meets. I think he still travels with them for some of these events. Ron Warhurst is his coach. He knows what it takes to get to the top of the world in the 1500. He was the longtime coach of Nick Willis. But Hobbs just, he was saying, all the right things. He's exactly what you would want to hear from this guy. I asked him about last season. He said, yeah, you know, it was a little tough adjustment to the time going from a high school to running against professional athletes, but he knew he was going to take some lumps. He said, it's fine. I learned a lot from racing. And now he's getting into the race. I was like, what do you think of your performance? He's like, yeah, it was good, but you know, I wish I'd been a little further up battling for the win. And he's setting himself high standard. I don't think it's really realistic for him to be running 728 at the moment. But he's like, look, I'm a pro. There, you can't have any excuses just for my age. I've been racing these guys. I signed a deal. I know there are high expectations. But he was, he's like, I knew I needed to improve my strength with the way the 1500s being run at a global level these days. And I still know I need to have a good, good speed. He wants to run 144 or 145 in the 800 this year. But he just seemed the maturity was, I was very impressed by it. And I think he's in a good spot. It's still going to be very hard to make the U.S. team in the 1500 this year. I don't think it's, well, I don't think it's going to be a total failure if he doesn't make it. But I think he's exactly where he should be at the moment. Now, John, you're throwing out the stats showing how he's the fourth fastest collegiate. You're getting excited about it, which I'm good, because when I called you after the meet was over, you didn't seem that excited. I mean, maybe it may have still been going on. This might have even been before the 5,000. Because I was off you, to the 5,000. Well, you were apparently sitting next to a prominent person in the industry. I guess, can I say coach? I just don't want to say which coach it was. And you you didn't seem as excited about these times as me. You said, oh, what do these times mean anymore? And I got a little bit of that on the off, when I came into the office yesterday. John Kellogg, Electron.com coaching guru. He's really jaded, man. I said, what did you think of those times? He's like, oh, I didn't even go to the website. What times are you talking about? Swear to God, he had not looked at the internet for track and field results. He did not know what happened. So I pulled up the YouTube videos and made him watch it. And it was fascinating to let him watch these races not knowing what was happening. 3,000 was first. We're like maybe 600 meters in, 800 meters in. He immediately says... It looks like Yared Nagoose is jogging. So the brilliance of John Kelly is coming out. By the way, if you're pro and need a coach, 
we will coach you. We're always debating if we want to coach, but he's so smart. My God. If he can take Walden 2806 with these super shoes, he can take pretty much anybody 27 flat. But he was down about the times. And I'm not. I'm just like, John, you spent half, you, a lot of your life. They had cinder tracks. Then they went to, you know, the Mondo. A tracks. lot of my life? I'm not that old, Robert. John, John Galt. Jonathan Kellogg, sorry. Okay. He's like, no, I spent most of my life focusing on what times meant with real, tr- with normal tracks, not cinder tracks. I was, I was a kid when they were cinder. And I know what these times mean. And they don't mean anything to me. He was like down about it. I'm just like, no, just add some time to it. You know, just add, you know, one to three seconds in the mile, three to five in the three to six, and this is three K and upwards in the five to 10. Robert, I'm not that depressed. I, yeah, I just talked to this person who was like, I don't know if I can get that excited about it. And I do get the reasoning behind it. Alistair Craig's NCAA record in the 3000 lasted 18 years. It was a legendary mark. Nagoose broke it last year. We're like, wow, that's really impressive. That's Yard Nagoose. He's a could be a potentially all-time talent in the NCAA. Then that mark doesn't even last one year. And Drew Bosley, a guy who's run one NCAA track final in his life and finished eighth, comes in and takes it down easily. And obviously a great run by Drew, but we're seeing the American record. Grant Fisher runs 1253. We think, oh my God, he just ran as fast as Bernard Lagarde did outdoors, essentially. That mark doesn't even last one year. When the records are getting blown away every year, records just as a rule do not mean as much. If a record is constantly being broken, you're detracting from the value of that record. And that is kind of where it was coming from. It's not like it's still, it was great to watch Woody break that record. But if all we get is record after record, which is what we've had the last three or four years with the super shoes, and now people are going to be you every year, naturally you're going to get a little bit jaded. Yeah. But I used to be the guy that the, the harped on the shoes in the marathon. And I do, but I just, I acknowledge it in my head. It's like, if you only go to one new year's party a year, it's super Are you fun. going to more than one New Year's party a year, Robert? No, but not, I mean, I'm a married guy. I, I've got kids, but like, if you go to the bar and have a good good time once a year, you're going to really remember it. But that doesn't mean that if you go 15, 20 times a year, you're not going to have a good time every time. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy it, people. Like, we, we enjoy the record. I mean, I, I think our web programmer, Eric, said a great thing on, on the conference call yesterday, all staff conference call we have every Monday. He said, it's not like this means that Woody Kincaid is, not, is better than Bob Kennedy, right? And we're like, no, that's a great example. Bob Kennedy, the older people don't remember. He was a full locker champion in high school. Something Woody Kincaid was not. He was a two-time, he won NCAA cross country as a true freshman and then won it again as a redshirt senior. He was the first American under 13 minutes, ran 12.58. He had the the lead in the Olympics with about 800 meters to go in 96 Atlanta. Well, never in the stands. And he never medaled. Woody Kincaid will probably never medal. Woody's faster, but how do you explain that? I, I would explain it simple. One, Woody has much better coaching, I would say, than Bob Kennedy did. I know Bob Kennedy was training with the Kenyans and Ken McDonald and blah, blah, blah. But he wasn't doing altitude training. So he, he left a lot on the table by not doing the altitude training. Now, not everyone is altitude responder, but most are. And two, the technology is better. I mean, he's got better, better, probably better pacing nowadays, better shoes, et cetera. But... No. Well, Robert, you said Woody Kincaid will probably never medal. I actually wanted to ask you that question. Does this result... He ran 12.51 and he closed in a 26. You do that in a world championship final, you're probably going to medal. 
But the problem is, Woody has been in some championship finals before. One in the 10,000. Well, I guess it was just the Olympics uh, because last year he only made the team in the 5,000. He fell in the prelims. But in the Olympics in 2021, he won the U.S. trials, beat Grant Fisher, who finished fourth in the Olympics in that race, and or fifth in the Olympics. But then at the Olympics, he was just far back. He gets... He's not a factor. He's in the middle of the pack. Same thing in the 5,000. The pace is a little quicker. And when the kicking starts, he's nowhere to be found. Does this 1251, he has a habit of getting gapped in these races. It happened to him at BU last year. It happened to him at USA's last year. I guess the USA's is the perfect example of this. He was able to run down Abdi Noor and Emmanuel Bohr in the last lap, but Fisher was already gone. He was not close enough to get Grant Fisher. And that is my worry is... If you are getting gapped constantly in a world championship final, all those guys are strong. All those guys can kick. It's very hard to pass all of them on the last lap. But does this 1251, does this tell you, hey, maybe now he's strong enough to be a factor on the last lap? Because I've always thought he has a kick, a world-class kick. He just hasn't been able to put himself in the race uh, with a lap to go. Do I think he could medal? It's possible. I mean, Philip Ingebrigtsen medal. Do I think he does medal? No. Do I think he's as good as Joshua Cheptegaard, the world record holder? No. Nicholas Camelli, the world champion? No. And and uh, Jakob Inger, no, I mean, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, the world champion, and Camelli, the world leader, and, and Ingebrigtsen, the world champion? No. But when actually, when the race finished, John Kellogg, I said, John, it was 26-2. And John's like, uh... And I, I tried to do a little research. I could not find the Rome Diamond League, which is the 1246 race this year, fastest in the world. I could not find the splits for the last lap, but I did time the last 200. It was 26.8. But John Kellogg immediately said, considering those guys can run in the 1230s, they run the 1240s consistently. He's like, I would think they would close a race like that in 25. And I, so the last race this year in Rome was 26.8. It was 1246 race. But I bet the last 400 was faster. I bet it's faster than, than than what we saw here. I don't have proof of that. We can try to find the full tape. I only saw the last 200. But and we didn't write a recap of that race for some reason. Prior to this race, Woody had no chance of meddling. Or, I mean, I guess he did. And we just didn't realize it. But I would have said no. No way. We'll level his second team. Now? Okay. He's in the equation. But if you look at it objectively, who cares if you can close in 52? If you're gapped, it's not going to help you. Those guys are closing at least 53, 54. You got to be, you got to be on the pace. If he can close like that, maybe right on the pace, yes. But his problem is he gets gapped. As Robert said, in a faster race, these guys may, maybe are closing faster, but even at the least, they're vastly slower. If you're three seconds back, I'm sorry, it's over. Well, and here's the you're problem. not catching them. Here's the problem for Woody: is how does Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who is the best guy right now, how does he like to run? It's not just sit and sit and sit for the, until there's 200 to go and then blow it for run away. Jakob likes to have a fast pace. If you watch the World Championship final this year, he ratchets it, ratchets it up. He runs a really fast final 1,000. And that's really what puts the hurt on these people. Jakob's not blowing everyone away with some insane last lap, but he's making people hurt so much that he just closes in 53 or 54 and wins it. That is not good for Woody because I don't think that's the kind of style of race he excels in. The other thing, you, I'm shocked you guys haven't mentioned the track at BU. You've talked about the shoes, but the track at BU is the only track, I think, maybe in the world still in existence that is built on boards. 
it was designed by essentially with the same concept of, as the sh- shoes to like give extra bounce. There's no other track on the world built on boards. They've done studies. It's faster than any other track. I mean, they haven't done like formal studies, but like Jeff Burns will link to link to it in the show notes. Wrote about it. It's the only track designed with this principle in mind, I think, in the world. So factor that in because a lot of the top 3K and 5K times in the world now are at BU. Right. We, yeah. we, we saw Kajelcha run the world record in the indoor mile, right? On the same track. Yes, we did. But I, I guess the one other thing about Woody is Grant Fisher ran 1253 in this race. He didn't close as fast. Sorry, Grant Fisher ran 1253 on this track last year. He didn't close as fast for the last 200. Though, you know, I'd have to look at the stats. Maybe his last mile might have been faster because it was a pretty big negative split. And Grant Fisher was very close to meddling in the 5,000 last year. So yeah, I think Woody in a certain kind of race, but he needs to... He, he And he himself said it. He's not really sure why he gets gapped. He's like, I don't think it's just that I'm giving up mentally, but I know I always have something on the last lap, but he needs to be there with a lap to go. And if he is, yes, he's a threat to medal. I mean, we're, we're debating whether he's, whether he's going to medal, which is good for Woody, but... I mean, he's been the third best 5,000 meter runner on the Bowerman Tri Club. Mohamed's better. Grant Fisher's better. I still think they're better. Now, I think this is a good, this good that he's left the Bowerman Tri Club. I don't know if I said it on a podcast or if I posted it on the message board or posted maybe on the message board under a fake name. I have done that. I've confessed in the past, but it doesn't make sense to me. Like, yeah, I, I actually, I think I definitely said this in the podcast because. It's like the whole reason why David Epstein wrote the book Sports Gene. Like, if you have the same people all doing the same training, the most talented people are going to beat the less talented people. So unless Fisher or Med get hurt or overdo the training, they're going to be beating Woody because I think they're more talented than Woody. So he's gotten really strong. I would try to do something else, different workouts. Maybe you benefit that way. Yeah, let's for people who don't know, Woody Kincaid was on the Bowerman Track Club. Until this fall or slash winter, the Bowerman Track Club is in a period of turmoil. Is not the right word. Change, tumult. Because head coach Jerry Schumacher took the Oregon job, so the club is moving from Portland to to, to Eugene. A lot of people don't want to live in Eugene. And Woody had a tough year. His dad died at the end of tw- December twenty twenty one. He's not too excited about moving to Eugene. So he tells Jerry essentially like, hey, I think I'm going to you know, go on my own, try my own thing here a bit. And then that led to the interview or the quote that everyone's talking about, which is what he said Jerry told him. Essentially, I think you're throwing away your career by leaving. Woody did his own training in the in the fall through December. Sounds like he was doing two thresholds a day, just doing his own thing. Hooked up with Coach Mike Smith, the NAU coach in Flagstaff, first week of, of January, it sounds like. So the last, what, that's three weeks. Was training with the NAU guys. Um, you know, really good pros. Abdi Hamid Nur is in that group. And boom, American record. It's amazing. But can, can we talk about two things? Oh, maybe three actually, but the first of which is can we talk about that quote where he's, Jerry Schumacher said, I think you're throwing very career. It's it's caused a lot of controversy on the message board. And I think people are misinterpreting this. Like Jerry's some a-hole, blah, blah, blah. I don't know Jerry well. 
But I hung out with him in Mon Jordan at World Cross Country. He seemed like a nice guy. Woody and Jerry have a good relationship. I, I think he was more like, Woody, I think you training on your own, you've got a world-class team with training partners, et cetera. It's going to be really hard to be one of the best runners in the world in the 5,000 all by yourself. You're making a mistake. It's like a, something a dad says to their son. It's not, it's not like you have no talent, you're not going to be good. Am, am I misinterpreting this? I'm giving Jerry the benefit of the doubt. I think that may be what happened there, Robert. I think we sh- that is something we'll ask Woody when we talk to him is to give the context behind it. But I think, yeah, anyone just trying to immediately jump down Jerry's throat and call him an asshole for it needs to consider the context and not just that one line. Yeah, listening to the interview, I didn't get the impression that there was a lot of animosity. He's like, I may go back to Bowerman. Right. If it's like, you're throwing away your career. But people can get heated or say something. But anyway, and he was angry. That was not picked up at all. But we will be talking to Woody in less than 12 hours here. We have a special podcast with him tomorrow, so we don't need to analyze this quote too much. But to me, big picture, take ownership of your run-in. I think a lot of these guys can get in groups. There's a group dynamic. David Ribich, who does a podcast with Josh Kerr, switched to the from the book's Beast to the Union Athletics Club. Essentially, he's like, I had this role with the Beast. I realized like I wasn't even taking ownership of race day. So I think change can be good. Woody's like, wait, I got to figure this out. I want to be good. I don't want to be Grant Fisher's beep. And if the workouts are designed for Grant Fisher and not, you know, they're so close, they're going to be doing a lot of the exact same things. And if Grant's sort of better at certain things and Woody's trying to hang on, that's not what Woody actually needs. He needs something slightly different, maybe some of the time at least. So this could be a win-win. Or maybe in the spring he goes back to Jerry, who knows? But clearly this worked, short term. But you know who's not getting enough credit for this performance? Ollie Hoare. This race was set up perfectly. I've always thought, I mean, we've seen it. When they set up a race with perfect pacing and rabbits and lights, Chapter Guy got the world records. G'day got the world records. When you set up the scenarios perfectly, these Diamond League things are often not set up perfectly. It's erratic racing. Sometimes the pace light's not working. But when you go uh, do a professional setup, with perfect pacing, how often do you have one of the fastest guys in the world rabbiting a race? Not very often. The only time I can think about it is when Stewie McSwain does it on the circuit. And guess what? That's when you get the world records and whatnot. So Ollie Hoare goes out, and they did a negative split. They eased into it. They were like 411, 62 flat, 31 second flat, 100, 200 is 1255. So they went out in like 4.11. I think Woody was like 4.12, and then they brought it down. So they eased into it. It's much easier to do it that way. You look at the at the splits for this 12.46 race in Rome. No, they're out in 2.34, 5.10, The splits this weekend were 2.37, 5.13, They're just, I mean, that was the thing. Woody goes out that hard, he ain't coming back from it in Rome. But the pacing was perfect. And actually both of those races. So that that was one thing. My two other questions I have about this race are what does this mean for Joe Klecker? Big breakthrough. You obviously want to break 13. You don't want to be one of those guys that has a, you know, 
like our employee 1.1, Steve, it's got a 15 flat, 31 flat PB. You got to break those barriers. So he broke 13. He can always say he's a 13 minute guy. But if we're going to be negative here, and he made this race too. I mean, this race was basically rabbited for 4,850 meters for Woody Kincaid. Perfect pacing. But I think Clocker's Achilles heel is he, he's, he's never going to have the world-class kick to medal in the track. If that's where your end goal, I just don't see it happening. And also, am I making too much into this? Rich is like, I'm really proud to him. He went to the well. He said he could barely stand up. We've seen it in the past where guys say, I went totally to the well and it took me a long time or I never recovered from it. My thyroid was shot. Isn't there some theory that Salazar used to run too hard and the son almost killed himself and he was never the same? There's a theory about that, but I don't want to make too much of it. What I would say is, yeah, Joe Clegg is a really good runner. I think Woody Kincaid and Grant Fisher are better, certainly in the 5,000. When one guy is running 1251, he's closing in 26, and another guy is running 1254, and it's taken every ounce of effort in his entire body to do that, the best 5,000 runners in the world are not totally insanely wiped out from running 1254. The very the metal types, they're probably going to be a little bit... I don't know. I guess Luis Grijalva has never broken 13. He almost medaled last year. But, yeah, I think Grant and, Grant and Woody is better at 5,000. Did you guys think Joe Clacker was going to medal before this? No. Are you more or less likely to think he's going to medal now? More. About the same. Because I thought he was a I thought he was a sub-13 guy before the race. I knew he was faster than what he'd run last year. So this race, it was impressive by Joe Clacker, but it doesn't really change what I think of him. Okay, fine. But it doesn't hurt. There's no, no reason to be negative about this run. Right, right. If I said Joe Clacker's going to run 12.54, you'd have gone like, wow, good for him. Really good run. Yes. Now we're going. He's not going to medal. Well, we didn't. Most of us probably didn't think he's going to medal anyway. Like we're grading here with a very harsh standard. Yeah. So I think, you know, that was a good run. One thing, sort of touching on these three k, five k. You guys talking about the fifteen hundred? Because I think we need to move on from these two races. At the Armory, this one didn't get much attention this weekend. Drew Hunter of the ten men elite. He won the mile. And 355.57, which, good run for him. He's running the mile at Milrose in two weeks. But I thought the most interesting comments were his comments afterwards. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on the 1500 this year. And we're like, why? And he's like, it's just because the 5K team's impossible to make, to be honest here. I could have the year of my career and run 1305 and still be 150 meters behind everybody. So I think I really, I have to do things that excite me at this point in my running career. And I like being competitive with the 1500 is something I can envision happening. So thoughts one, I don't think the 1500 meter team is much easier to make. We were, we were talking about Nagoose Hawker who else? I mean, like, I guess you got to get ahead of Fisher and Kincaid and the and the five and Kincaid and uh, ooh and Nor and Chalimo if he's around. Look, okay. they're both yeah, going to be incredibly the five's hard. Harder, for, I agree. In tier, they're both going to be very hard for Drew to make. Drew to make uh, unless he improves greatly. But what I would one other thing I would talk about this talking about USA's. 
Will a US 5,000 meter champion this year be from the Bauman Track Club? So that would be Grant Fisher or Cooper if he runs it. Or from the current Mike Smith group? We don't know if Woody Kincaid is going to be in that group come USA's, but Abdelhamid Noor and Woody Kincaid were the other two members of the team last year. Will it be one of those? Which, if you had to bet right now, are you more likely to pick? Because I think the other thing is, if Grant Fisher was in BU this weekend, maybe he runs that race and he runs 12.49 and we're not even talking about Woody Kincaid. So um, what do you guys think? This is an easy one. Jerry, I know I'm wearing the Burrito Track Club t-shirt, but I got Jerry's back on this one. Where, By the way, where is Grant Fisher, John? What is he up to? My understanding is he... Well, I actually I haven't talked to Jerry or his agent or Grant or anything, but I know that a lot of American runners are training for the 10 right now, which is in March. Grant Fisher has the world standard, but he doesn't have the Olympic standard. The Olympic window is open. My assumption is he's training to run the Olympic standard at the 10 in March, but I don't have that confirmed. That makes sense. The standard's so hard to get it out of the way this spring. I see why guys are skipping World Cross. I hate to say it. But... I agree with you for the record. I, I would still pick Grant to be the U.S. champion this year. But I think people are... Actually, I don't know what Abdi Noor is up to. I, I, I haven't seen any races on the schedule for him. I think he's really, really good as well. But Grant is coming off one of the best years ever by an American. So I'm picking him for the win still. If I expected anyone to have a breakout 5,000 meter this year, I thought it was going to be Abdi Noor. So look out for him. I didn't... Wouldn't have expected Woody Kincaid. There's a thread on the message board, like putting Woody's run in perspective. They pointed out, like, Woody's like the second fastest guy ever over the age of 30, which is kind of surprising, indoors or out. Well, that gets to another question. A lot of people on the message board, there's a big thread, is Woody Kincaid clean? And I can't believe this thing is going on pages after page after page. I'll admit, I posted, I was the second poster on there, and I said, Hey, I get the question. If you're a fan of the sport and don't ask this question, you must not have been paying attention. And to be honest, when he gave the post-service interview, John did a great job with it. When he said, oh, my contract, he talked, it sounded like his contract was up or he still may be in the negotiation period because it seemed weird to me. He, he did admit to other groups. I thought this would be the time to dope. Dope now, put up a good performance and get a new deal. And that was presented to me a long time ago when Nathan Ritzenheim was running. I forgot. I wish I knew who told me this theory, but someone's like, look, he's got kids in the family. He misses the Olympic team in 2008. He's fourth at the trials. He did make the team in the 10,000, but he's supposed to be marathoner. He's never broken 210 in six marathons. Your contract's up that year. You're telling me you're not going to let Alberto give you a massage and just not ask any questions. I don't know. I see why people ask those questions, but I actually think most people are clean. And do you guys think... The thread, though, most people in this thread are saying dirty. I, I just think that it's the people that think he's dirty and the BTC's dirty, et cetera, are very outspoken. What percent of people in Let's Run? I guess we can do the clean doping polls, Baldwin. We've done them for the world record holders. We haven't announced the results. We're going to do them for the U.S. people. Be interested to see. What percent of, of, of Let's Run visitors do you think think that what he's dirty? I think it's less than a third, but on this thread, it's all the people think he's dirty posting. It's kind of annoying me. We'll find out. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think it's that high. One last comment about Drew Hunter. That's why you take the money. The guy made, what was it? Unheard, what was the rumor we heard? $4 million? 
10 years, 400,000, or was it 10 years, 600,000? That guy goes to college. He's running for 75K a year right now. If that. All right, there's some other meets we need to talk about. Keely Hutchinson set a world record. Is she going to be the thing? No, Caitlin Tui, collegiate record. Where do we go? Let's talk about Caitlin Tui. She's already an NCAA champion on the track, NCAA champion across country. Now she gets first collegiate record, 424.26 in the mile. She was third in a race that was won by Alicia Monson of On Athletics Club in 423.55. Whitney Morgan, formerly Whitney Orton, the 2021 NCAA cross-country champion, she was second in 423.97, so good race for her. The Tui thing, I saw this result. I actually had the times wrong, so I didn't get to watch this race live. I didn't realize they were running it when they did. But I just see 424. She broke Jenny Simpson's college record, which had stood since 2009, a 425. So really great run. But then I'm like, of course Caitlin Tui broke the collegiate record. She's in amazing shape. We think around 15 flat for 5K. She went 433 as a high school sophomore. She's indisputably much better than she was then. I guess I saw her. I'm just like 424. She's got pros running and leading this thing. Makes sense to me. That was my main takeaway. I liked how she tried to win the race and was competitive. She was trying to pass Monson a couple times on the last lap. Monson was too good for her. That's fine. Monson's a couple years older. I, just, I thought very strong result for Tui and good run for Monson and Orton as well. Or Morgan. Yeah, I was impressed all the way around on this one. Like Tui came up 200 ago and got like right on Monson. Monson's, you know, more of a professionally three five ten runner battles back keeps the lead and you're just like oh i don't think kate i don't think caitlin's gonna do it and then whitney comes blasting up from the back and challenges for the win so pbs for everybody um i i, I don't know caitlin too is running really well everything has really worked out with her like the high school phenom sort of dip her senior year. I don't know if COVID actually helped because like there weren't as many races that year than her freshman year. She, they nurtured it along kind of quietly and slowly, but she's at the top of the NCAs right now. No one's running better. I, you know, obviously I want to see what she can do at the NCAA level, but I want to see what she can do versus the pros. So this was a good run. She's not a miler long-term. Well, Alicia Monson's not a miler either. Of course, too, he's four years younger than Monson. So, look, it was a good run. I'm excited. I, I expect her to get. Is, is she going to run Milrose 3000, John? She is, yes. Tui. So, I would expect the collegiate record to fall there. I'm sure John's got it memorized. I mean, both the 3000 and 5000 records predate the Super Shoe era. So, if we think those are worth, you know, five or six seconds on the 3000, I don't see why she would get it. If she goes, and I think it's going to fall at Milrose. I would expect so too. It's interesting because Milrose, Ritz in that workout that they were filming of Monson, he was saying 8.20 was the time Monson was targeting, which is much faster than the American record of 8.25 by Carissa Schweizer. So that's going to be a very, very fast race up front, but I think there'll be enough good people in the field for Tui to run under the collegiate record of 841 by Carissa Schweizer. I think she's in shape to do it. So yeah, that's going to be exciting. And the Monson thing, I think this is good. Well, you talked to Ritz and 
He was like, look, if she's going to be contending in these global finals, she needs to be able to kick. She needs to be fast on the last lap. You know, you're closing in 60 low and or 61 to win a medal in the 5,000. So I think it makes sense that you got to get that speed up if she's going to be a contender at the highest stage. So I like this. It was a good run. It was a solid run for her. The thing that really struck my eye about this Ritz, Weldon's got the article when he talked from Ritz on there. And it's good, Weldon, when you write a recap of an article, even though we have the full YouTube video, because I don't watch the full YouTube video, so I don't have time for that. But he was really high on Josette Norris, who was not in this meet, who just joined the group. And, you know, she's run 359. But he's like, she's going to be in the 5K. He's saying, sounds like she's going to be a 5,000-meter runner. Remember, she tried out for the Olympics in the 5,000, didn't make it, and then ran 359 that year. But, so we see why Chris Fox had her in the 5,000. But again, this reminds me a little bit. She reminds me a little bit of, of Nagoose. Like Reebok Track Club didn't really do altitude training. She's at altitude for the first time. Who could be making a big jump this year? It, 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 you know, it could definitely be her. We haven't even talked about the most hyped race in the Armory, at least coming in. And the best race at the Armory. I mean, this race delivered. It was a exciting race. These other races, sure, 10 years from now, people will remember that, oh, that's where Caitlin Tui broke the mile record, NCAA mile record. But Ajay Wilson ran 235.97 to take down Sage Hurtaclecker in what was billed as an American record attempt at 1,000 meters. Jin Toomey's, I think it's 234.1 something. So they were, you know, over a second and a half off the record. But Ajay Wilson's win streak at the Armory now is, I think, 10 years old. She was the underdog in this race. But Sage went for it. Ajay sort of hung back with maybe not 10 meters back, six to eight meters back. And then just came kicking that last race. I think Ajay sort of has a very good feel of what she can run and felt like Sage went out a little hard. And you know, Sage, if she if Sage had been able to hold the pace and and get the record, she would have won. But it was exciting. I, I don't know. Ajay's just. I I kind of I like these win streaks. It's going to face a tough test the next race because she's racing a thing mo at six hundred meters. Ajay's in at six hundred as well, right? Oh no! Wait, who's in the six, John? Oh, John, you're right. She's not. Okay. Yes, we want the win streak to keep going. The 600. I knew there was somebody in there. Shamir Little is the the challenge. It's really being billed as a world record attempt. So, oh, Natoya Gould. Okay, Ajay, protect the the streak. You know, you got to challenge yourself, but don't go race a thing well at 600. That's stupid. So I applaud this. The race, the race was great. Sage was running for the record. She wasn't quite fit enough to get it. I think people underestimated a little bit how tough 234 was to run. Now, Lucia Stafford, a Canadian, runs 233 in BU a few minutes later, which I thought was pretty incredible. She broke the Canadian and North American records in that race. But yeah, Sage wasn't quite ready to run 234 on her own. And Ajay was running for the win and not for the record. Ajay ran her down. Very smart racing by Ajay. A great race at the end. I was excited. I didn't really care that this record in a little known event didn't get broken. 
I was just glad that two of America's top talents were racing against each other and we got a great race out of it. So kudos to both of them. I don't want to get sidetracked, but Lucia Stafford's another woman that's left Bowerman Track Club is doing really well. And John, you'll get to see her this weekend. She's running the mile against Emma Coburn at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Well, and we're going to be breaking that down on the Friday 15 because this is one of the biggest indoor meets of the year. By the way, did anyone mention this? You guys realize Woody Kincaid's in the 3000 there, right? This weekend. I, he just got added yesterday, which I thought was interesting. Jake Whiteman pulled out. He had a foot injury when he was at training camp in South Africa, so he's no longer running. But Woody told me he had a 6 a.m. flight home after the 5,000 record, so that would have been 6 a.m. Saturday morning, and now he's got another race back in Boston on Saturday. So clear, he said after the race he was thinking he would either run Milrose or the 10, and now he's doing neither of them. He's doing the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. So... I wonder if they just threw a bunch of money at him because now they don't have Jake Whiteman running anymore. Either way, it'll be interesting. People are like, wait, could Yard Nagusa's American record not even last eight days? I'm like, hold on, hold on. I know Woody's in really good shape right now, but running like he'd have to run like 727 solo. We don't know if the new New Balance track is as fast as the BU one. I don't want to make myself at the risk of looking like a fool's two weeks in a row poo-pooing an American record, I don't think it's going to fall in the 3K on Saturday. But you've got, I'm looking at the start list here, and I think this is the same guy, Idisu Yuhune. Is that the same guy? There's this Ethiopian guy who's like 18 or 19 or something, who he took the lead on your Nagus around like 1,400 meters into that race. He took the lead on the pacemaker in that race. Young guy, and I was like, okay, that wasn't very smart, but if he's in there, I mean, he ended up running, what, 736, 738? I mean, he could get it close. Although, I, I don't see how Woody would get the record because Woody's not the type of guy that's going to push the pace when the rabbit drops right, off. Right, right. But if you want to remember, watchrun.com slash subscribe. We'll break that. Because I want to promote that meet. It, went kind of, it makes sense a lot of times people go two meet, two weeks. You know, they raced last weekend. They're going to go do Milrose in two weeks. But we got New Balance in Grand Prix this weekend. We got Grand Hallway. Well, we got a great sprint show oh, now. Marvin Bracey Williams versus Trayvon Bromel versus Noah Lyles in the 60. Those are three of America's biggest sprint stars. Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni against Sharika Jackson and Melissa Jefferson, the U.S. champion in the 60. Like you said, Holloway against Trey Cunningham. There's a lot of stars showing up at this meet. I think it's going to be fun. Actually, we teased this on the park last week. My sister, who lives in town, she has bought tickets to go to see this, a professional track meet. I can't remember the last time she did this. Maybe she showed up to the New Balance track last year when they did that DMR world record attempt, but that was free. But I don't think, I think the last time I remember my sister paying to go to a track meet might have been. 2009 when USA indoors were in Boston and a high school track team went there. So I asked her, I said, why are you going to this meet? What do you guys think was her reasoning behind it? Well, John, I think it's probably, she's just such a fan of your work and she wants to see you and your element interviewing people writing. Like if, if, if my older sibling, if Weldon was like Hunter S Thompson, I think I might want to, you know, go write him, see him write a novel so just to see you and your element. Maybe. I mean, we could probably go on our press pass, John. You know, she could help out with interviews. Well, no, I don't think she wanted to go there to work. She wants to go to enjoy the meet. So her response was, I love Grant Holloway. 
So she's a big Grant Holloway fan. And then she said, also, this feels like the biggest track event in Boston in a while at a really nice new facility. So this is the, it's interesting though, because this is the kind of person they want to be attracting. Sarah's someone who is sort of a casual fan of track. She's aware of the sport, but she never bought a ticket to go to the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix when it was the Reggie Lewis Center. Now she's decided, I want to go. They've got a new facility. They've got this guy, Grant Holloway. I'm a fan of his showing up. So, and she's gone with, I think, her roommate. She said, all of us haven't been to a professional track meet in years or have never been. So we got at least, well, we got, we're growing the sport here. And she knew of the meet because of like, our newsletter, she put a link to the newsletter. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe now. Is she just visiting the homepage, like talking to you? I didn't actually ask her how the meet got on her radar. Probably she saw it on, I don't I don't know. I don't know how she found out about it. Now, she going general admission, gold, silver? What level of tickets did I, she get? I don't know. I think all, well, in the past, though, the Reggie the seating really mattered because some of the views near the finish line, you had a much better view from what I recall of the new facility. I haven't been back since April, pretty much anywhere on that home street, you're going to have a pretty good view of the entire track. So I don't think it's going to be like the Reggie where your seat really, really matters. And they have a giant jumbotron. I'm glad she's not going for free beer. Cause I assume there's not free beer, but if we ever need to fill a facility, maybe that's what Drag has to resort to. But if you're in Boston, yeah, get you got to check this out because I haven't heard anything, John. I've been I've been yelling at New Balance. Come on, New Balance, let's plan something around the Boston Marathon at the at the new facility. But that that okay, that's a different audience. That's for the out of town people. This is for the locals. Locals, get there. I'm even debating driving up, John. Oh wow. Graced by Weldon Johnson's appearance. Though I got to say, these sprinters coming in from out of town, I don't think they were going to enjoy Boston. Here's the forecast for Saturday. The high, 13 degrees. The low, negative 10. So I hope that doesn't keep people away because the track meet's going to be great, but walking around outside will be miserable. You know, this is a state-of-the-art indoor facility. This is brand new. You know, the armory... Minus 13 outside? That building's kind of old. There might be some drafts in there. Oh, they keep the windows open sometimes at the armory. So, yeah, I, I'm sure it'll be good temperature indoors. I'm very excited about the meet. We got a press conference on Friday. A lot of the big stars will be there. So we'll have a preview podcast after that on Let's Run. Just for supporters club members. So letsrun.com slash subscribe if you want access to that. We're still talking about the fastest performance of this weekend, and then I think we'll get to the winner, my winner of the weekend. But Kiwi Hodgkinson, the Olympic and world 800-meter silver medalist, ran 123.41 to break the world indoor 600-meter record. Old record was 0.03 slower. So clearly she's not resting on her laurels. She may have this record for two weeks, but this is going to be great because I think Mo's running the same race two weeks from now at Milrose. But what do you guys think about the race? Mainly, I'm just excited because I think Keeley and a thing like this could be a rival, an epic rivalry, where it already is an epic rivalry. Well, Keeley hasn't won yet, so I don't know if you can call it epic. They've had good races, but you need that to happen. 
They've raced twice ever, John. Uh, I think three times. I think they ran at the pre-classic in 2021, right? And Keeley was okay. way off the pace. But yeah, look, it's the making of what could be a great rivalry. And Keeley Hodgkinson could well be a thing, Mo, at some point this year, but it's not going to be because she ran 123 in January. I mean, you got, let's just put this thing in context. A 16-year-old, a thing, Mo, ran 123.57 at USA Indoors in 2019. Keeley Hodgkinson has run... 16 hundredths of a second faster than a thing Mo did when she was 16 years old. This was a weak record. Keely Hodgkinson is a 155-800 runner. If she's in pretty good shape, I would have expected her to beat this. It's a good run for her, but the reason I'm high on Keely is because she ran uh, a thing Mo right to the line at the World Championships last year, not because she broke some record at an event no one runs. Well, John, before I plug like weak records, you should have told me in advance. How are there still all these weak records on the books? Like, I feel like New Balance is famous for it, right? Targeting these weak records. I'm surprised there's only a 600 at New Balance this weekend. But, like... There's a 500, Femke Bull. Oh, my God. They have, like, a 450. Next, 450s. New Balance, the meet, was the worst for just doing, like, a really obscure distances. Like, 500 is worse than 600. 600 is more established internationally. But I'm sort of shocked. I forgot about... I didn't realize that a thing had become that close as a 16-year-old. So she, she better obliterate it. If she doesn't obliterate it in Milrose, uh-oh, sirens will be going off, sirens will be going off. I don't think it was that soft of a record. I I, I think John Kelly says it's like a 157.5. World Athletics says it's a 158.2. I mean, it's not amazing. But to me, this was a, a nice sign for Keeley. We know that she's motivated. She's roughly in the same type of fitness she was indoors last year. And she was very close to beating Athingmo this year. Look, and as I said in the week that was, which is up on the homepage now, are we sure Athingmo is going to be the world champ? That's what I thought when I saw this race. We did. I guess I would have thought that after last year too. But I think that's good for the sport to have this doubt. Athing wasn't as great last year as she was in 2021. There's no doubt about that. Was that because she's already reached her peak, even though she's only 20? Was that just be it's possible? Or was it just because she was kind of, there was some turmoil at Texas A&M, it sounds like. She's done everything she can do there. She's not as motivated. She won the Olympics the year before. To still go undefeated the next year is pretty damn good. You expect having a post-Olympic quote-unquote down year when you're undefeated. You know? Like, I think it's probably that, but we don't know, and I think it's good. It could be possible, as I said you know, that she gets beat, but it also could be that she gets remotivated. The fact that she moved to LA, I think is a good sign. Like she's not just going through the motions, but also she's got a coach and never coaching hundred. So to me, this doubt is good for the sport. Yeah. It's a, this is the thing. It could be a great rivalry. We're excited about it. We're talking about it in January. I'd still have a thing as the favorite. A thing hasn't lost a race as a professional 800 meter runner. So she has to be the favorite, but Keely Hodgkinson and Mary Marat are so good, she's going to have to be close to her best to beat them in Budapest. And it's a great storyline to follow all year. I hope they race at least once on the circuit before Worlds so we can kind of see who has the edge. But yeah, she, I don't, even she literally is unbeatable as a professional in the 800, but I think she can be beaten this year if she's not at her best. Yeah, speaking of streaks that need to keep going on. Keep that one going, I think. Try to keep it going, but it's going to be tough. All right, that leads us to... Oh, my God, no. Really? 
I was going to say the thread of the week, and then I'm like, I'm going to see if this is a registered poster who did it. I had no idea who posted this thread. Thread of the week is Monday Night Trivia. Put the three following three athletes in order from oldest to youngest. Kaywin Tui, Athing Mo, and Keely Hoshkinson. I was going to praise the poster. I had no idea. The poster is Rojo. I, I, like, we don't plan this bullshit. John, clearly Rojo knows the answer. Do you know the well, answer? I he, All right, see, here's the thing. I was going to... I I didn't know it off the top of my head, but I thought about it. I've been on their uh, Tillis Tapia profile so many times that I actually do kind of remember when they were all born. And I knew Keely was at the very start of March. I knew Caitlin was... In, this is they were all born in 2002. I knew Caitlin was later in March. I knew a thing was June. But then Rojo, right before I was about to wow you guys, Rojo pasted the answers, or one of you guys pasted the answers in the Google Doc we used to do this show. Why would you do that? Now, I mean... Sorry, that was me. John, I thought you used a little laptop. How can you stare at the screen and look at the Google Doc at the same time? I figured you wouldn't be looking at it. I go back and forth. I'm not always staring at your beautiful faces. I'm sorry, guys. But yes, I, I would have... I would have known this. I don't know the exact dates, but I've been on their profiles enough to, to know roughly when they were born. And the answer for the record, Keely Hodgkinson is the oldest, March 3rd, 2002. Caitlin Tui is the second oldest, March 18th, 2002. A thing Mo, the one who has an Olympic gold medal and a world championship gold medal, is the youngest, June 8th, 2002. She doesn't turn 21 until June. Wow, I've just, I got a revenue model for the sport. 21st birthday parties for all of them. Now, I guess the 21st birthday isn't a big deal in Britain. So this will help Keely get established in the U.S. Fly over here, have a big party. People buy tickets to the party. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I guess they can make money if they want. But I'd rather celebrate my 21st birthday party with, like, probably close friends than just, hey, here are some track weirdos. Like, Caitlin Tui has enough diehard track fans. I think she'd probably prefer not to celebrate her. Weirdos, here are some fascinating people who appreciate the sport. Some of them are normal. Some of them are are not. John just denigrated our audience. Well, why is that the thread of the week? I just thought it was interesting because I was writing the week that was to realize, wait a minute, Caitlin Tui is older than that. But I think comparing the 1,500 5K runners to 800 runners is is not really good. Speaking of which, you guys know, well, I know John does, but who do you think is older Jakob Ingebrigtsen or Jürgen Nagus. One is a 727 runner. One is a 728 runner. One is the Olympic champion. One is the NCAA champion. Yard's older. Yes, he's 15 months older than Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, earlier we were talking about uh, um, Hobbs Kessler. Hobbs is, let's look it up. He's 19, oh, I think I know his birthday off the top of my head. I believe it's March 15th, 2003. And Jakob, John? September 19th, 2000. Oh, my God. Dead on. I mean, I've been on Jakob's profile page a lot. I'm on there all the time, and since you can Google it, it just doesn't even register. But, it's like random. Well, it no, just goes but straight here's the thing. out. Well, then, like, if there was anyone's birthday I was going to know, it would be Jakob, because not only am I on his profile a lot because he's the fastest runner in the world, his age has been this massive topic of discussion since he was 16 years old. People are saying he's the youngest person to do X, Y, and Z. So, yeah, I don't have every pro athlete's birthday memorized, except Eric Kennard, because he was born on the exact same day as I was. But 
yeah, if there's someone I'm going to know their exact birthday, it's going to be Jakob. Hey, speaking of age, how old's Dathan Rittenheim, John? Um, well, he graduated. High- oh, I know. I'm pretty sure I know his exact birthday too, because he was born on December 30th, which is LeBron's birthday, Nick Simmons, Tiger Woods. And since he graduated high school in 2001, he would have turned 18 on December 30th, 1982. Wow. John nailed it. We don't set this stuff up either. Dathan Rittenheim just turned 40. Wow. Could have had a big party there, Dathan. See, this these is the revenue, revenue model for the sport. Hang out with, you would get old guys like myself who go to date. You know, Dathan's 40th. Some people want to go to Kiwi's 21st. But my winner of the week is Dathan Ritzenhine in the OAC. Well, Ritz is old. You know, we, we talked about it. I was a little jealous of Ritz. He's famous for coaching in blue jeans like I was famous in coaching for blue jeans. At least we talked about this on the Friday 15th. John, by the way, one of my runners even remember the brand of blue jeans. I didn't even remember the name. Diesel blue jeans. High end, high end. But there's always going to be jealous of Ritz because I had retired from coaching before I hit the age of 40. I was already out, retired. Just I, I pulled a John Madden. I was out of the sport. But this birthday talk got me a little nervous. I thought, oh, my God, I just missed John's birthday. But actually, folks, it's this Friday. John will be working hard at work for all you podcast listeners, recording the Friday 15. Anyone that signs up for the Supporters Club, between now and Friday, all of the money, 100%, will go directly to Jonathan Gold. So come on, John. Let's let's give John. We get 10 people to sign up. Well, assuming they sign up for full price and not half price. John, you, you could have, you could make it rain that night. 10? Let's go for 50. 50 signups. Come on, people. 50? Are we, we've been having a lot of people sign up to, to read the article you paywalled this week. Whoa, John. Wow. I'm making, wonderful. A, I'm making that person. article free. That would be, yeah, I need to, all right, it's I have Tuesday. three articles I've been sitting on for the last year and I haven't told you about, we're going to put them all behind the paywall in the next three days. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, thank you for that generous offer, Robert. And what I would say, I guess, on another topic I wanted to discuss, Ritz obviously having a great well, couple of years. So that was pretty much everything on Athletics Club has done since they started that group in 2020 has turned out well. But I was going to bring this up Mo Farah turns 4D in March. And it was kind of mind-blowing to me that Mo Farah and Dathan Ritzenhain are about the same age because I imagine like most of Mo's career played out, or at least the top-level stuff, played out after Ritz was a factor. You know, Ritz kind of was good until about 2012, 2013. And then that's when Mo Farah was really taking off. Wait, when was Ritz a factor, John? Professional? Well, not not to the degree that Mo Farah was, but oh, okay. in terms of like breaking American records, meddling at the world half. Robert, Ritz had broken American record at 5K. He got a world bronze medal at the half marathon championships. What year was that? 2009. And he was sixth at Worlds in the 10K. And Mo Farah was running stuff, but he wasn't. He hadn't really taken off yet. But John, but it is crazy, right? Because Farah's first world was 2011. No, 13, the one he won? No, he, no. Mo Farah, the first one he won was 2011, but he'd yeah. been running at World since... Yeah, uh, no, it's crazy. 2007. Like, then, well, the, the real comparison I made was between Bekele and Mo Farah, because we think of those two as being 
belonging to two totally different eras, right? There's the Bekele era, and then once he's over, I guess he had some marathon, obviously he had some strong marathons, but his track career tails off right as Mo Farah is taking off in 2011. And Kenanisa Bekele is only one year older than Mo Farah. The fact that they barely overlapped at all is just kind of nuts. But the reason I'm bringing up Mo Farah is he has been announced as part of the 2023 London Marathon field, and he spoke to some media... I was part of the media call on Monday. He said 2023, he thinks it's going to be his last year in the sport, which I think makes sense. He's had these problems staying injured. Sorry, staying healthy as he's gotten older. But he still has, he still enjoys running. He said he was keeping up with Bashir Abdi. They're in pretty similar shape last year until Mo got hurt and had a hamstring injury, had to pull out of London. Bashir Abdi got third in that race. So Mo has said he doesn't think he'll compete at the Olympics next year. Obviously, he didn't make the team in 2021. He has won the Chicago Marathon before his PRs 205. Do you expect him to be any sort of factor in the London Marathon at all, or do you think this is just a well-compensated farewell race? It's an easy answer. Well-compensated farewell race. I'm disturbed that he's saying this is going to be his last year. Because I'd want him at least thinking, hey, I'm going to do well at London, and then next year is the Olympics. I might as well go back to the Olympics see if I can medal. Medal? So he's what event's he going to medal at? The marathon. Yeah, good point, Robert. He's British. How tough is a British marathon team to make? Mo, keep going. Do the next Olympics. Because he didn't make the last Olympics. He needs to make the next Olympics. It's one more year. Do this thing. Do all right in London. People need to appreciate the greatness of O'Farrah more. I don't know. The guy doesn't get his due here in America. Maybe that's because he's not American. But yeah, do one more Olympics. Have a swan song at the Olympics. Your swan song needs to be at the Olympics. The Olympics are next year. Did you guys know that the Olympics were also in Paris 100 years ago? I, I did. That's That has come up. Did you guys know uh, so, that? Somehow I had never heard that, but okay. I discovered it when I saw an Olympic Paris medal at the Armory from 1924. Well, I guess to play devil's advocate here, Mo, like, if things were going better for him, I would say, yes, absolutely. Go extend your career to 2024 and try to do something in the Olympics. But he hasn't really done much the last couple of years because he keeps getting hurt, which that happens when you approach 40 years in age and you've been running at a world-class level for two decades. So I, I guess it would be cool, but he doesn't seem to have a desire to go to the Olympics and his body hasn't been allowing to him. Like if he can make it to the start line healthy and run well in London, maybe then you start thinking about it. But I don't really fault him for if this is just how he wants to say goodbye. Uh, I don't think he wants to go out like he did in 2021, which is his body's falling apart. He can't make the team. He wants to have one more sort of performance he can be proud of, but I don't think he owes it to go to the next Olympics if he doesn't want to. Yeah, I can't believe he's Rich's age. Rich needs to make a comeback as well as his guys are doing coach himself. But speaking of Ritz, I was thinking about this, guys. The OAC, obviously, you got to do it on the track. But Ritz also, what does he do? He talks to the media. Now, we'll have a showing praise on him because, you know, he talked to me for like 11 minutes. But do you guys seriously think 
Jerry holds up and doesn't speak to the media, then I think one, it hurt, it hurt, it hurts. It hurts your team. One, if something bad happens, people start crafting their own story. And then you're not as personable and people don't give you the benefit of the doubt. And you're, 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 I get, the one thing Ritz has that Jerry doesn't have is he was an American star, had hold, held American records as a runner, so people know who he is. They might want to hear from him more than Jerry. But do you think the model will be, hey, the coach just can't hole up in the mountains and not, and not talk to the media. Part of your job is to, to get the brand out there, to talk to the media, to engage. I'm not sure about that. He Jerry's operated like this for a very long time, and he never had trouble attracting talent in the past. Now, maybe... Now that we've they've relocated to Eugene, that we had this Shelby Houlihan fallout, I think we ha- we all think he should have spoken a little bit more than he did. He only offered a one press conference on that topic. But yeah, I guess we'll see the next couple of classes. You also got to remember, Nike is not investing quite as much money in track and field as they were before. And you've got a brand like On popping up and now they're throwing money around. But Cooper Tier, who was the U.S. champion, one of America's top talents, just joined the Bowman Track Club. I don't. I, I think I'd have to see it to believe it. Well, that I, I don't think Jerry's going to be convinced he needs to change his. And he's also going to be the Oregon track coach now. He will have a pipeline of talent coming through. He'll be talking to athletes. He'll be at college meets. I, I don't think he suddenly needs. I'd like for, if he starts talking to the media more, but I don't think he's going to need to to make sure Bowman's successful. I meant from the brand perspective, almost. If the yeah, coach is engaging he, with the media, you're getting the word out there more. It just shows you they don't care about what, what the nerds and let's run think about the brand. They think about the it's like the average 45 year old hobby jogger. So it probably doesn't matter. Well, the meant like would the would the brand require you to speak to the media? Oh well, he's going to have to do that as head coach of Oregon, right? So, and Oregon's obviously one of Nike's biggest billboards. Okay, one other result I wanted to hit on here from over the weekend was something I think flew over the under the radar because it came in Seville. It was the Seville Half Marathon. Betsy Siner, who got American citizenship a couple years ago, won the race in 68-25. She's coming back from having a kid December 2021. And suddenly I think she might be a factor at the Olympic trials next year in the marathon. Her PB is only, well, on, I say only 222. That would be, still be among the fastest Americans. But she's run very impressive PBs at shorter distances, 1439, 30.07 when she was fifth in the Olympic final in 2016. And she's run 67.49 in the half back in 2019. Robert, you were a huge Sally Kipiego backer in 2020, the Olympic silver medalist at 10,000. You thought she would make the team. I was critical of you. You approved right. Could Betsy Siner be the Sally Kip Yego of 2024? Of course. And wasn't Kip Yego fourth or something? Or did Kip Yego make it? She made it, right? Yes, she made the Olympic team. Yeah. I mean, how many Americans have run 222 in history, John? Where would she be on the all time list? Off the top of my head, I mean, she'd have to be in the top 10. I, I guess that puts us seventh, but I can look it up. Oh, it's more than I thought. Okay. So, Sinus PB is 222.43. That would put her 10th all time if you're counting times run in Boston. Put her ninth, if not. 
And of the people on the list ahead of her, I mean, Sisson's a lock on the team. No one's a lock on the Olympic marathon team, Robert. Yes, Emily Sisson's a lock for that team. Kira models I mean, how old is she? Her age is starting to worry me, but I would think that she would be on that team ahead of, of um She ran two nineteen last year, Robert. Two nineteen. Okay. Her age is all of a sudden worrying you less than but I guess the, the, it's been over a year, John. Been over a year. I mean, Emma Bates is a two twenty three eighteen woman. Molly Seidel, I mean, her PB's not as fast, but we know how good she is. She's in the, the equation. She's in the talk. That's why they run the race. Yeah, I just found the inter- the comparisons interesting because they both had great Olympic ten thousand results eight years before the trials. They're both going to be similar ages. Kipiego was 34, Sider will be 35 at the trials. Obviously, both born and raised in Kenya before coming over to the U.S. for college, and they're both coming back from giving birth to a child. Though Sainz was in December 2021, Kip Yegos was July 2017, but it took Kip Yego a while to get back to racing. So definitely some similarities. I could see it happening, but yeah, I, I'd look, I think it's silly to call anyone a lot for the Olympic marathon team. The trials is a one-off event. It's I just, I think it's premature, even as good as Emily Sisson has been running recently. Here's my team right now if I'm picking it. January 31st, 2023. Sisson, for sure. Ooh, does D'Amato make it? D'Amato and Sena. No Molly Seidel. I just don't have faith that she's going to be healthy. Although she's running Nagoya. So I guess I should probably put her on the team. Man. Or no breakthrough person. I guess Santa can be a breakthrough person. To be determined. I mean, we're going, still got Emma Bates. I think people underrate her. Got Sarah Hall, got Kira D'Amato. How dare you guys? You guys are missing someone in the top 10. Number five here. Got engaged I'm, this week. I, I'm not Jordan missing. Jordan Hesse. Jordan Hesse. Jordan, congratulations. Jordan Hesse got... Got engaged. She's in a good place mentally, her coach said. If she can come back, oh my God. The site will crash. Oh, it would be an all-time comeback story, but... I mean, this would she, be we're not, I, I don't think it's worth discussing her until she gives us a reason to. By the way, I enjoyed the Pete Julian interview last week, but I wish I... We could, I would like to watch it again or listen to it again with John standing next to me and Weldon, and then I could write down the times when I knew he was lying. I don't know if lying is the right word, but saying things that maybe he didn't necessarily believe, but hoped was true. So when he was, when he was being delusional with himself. Correct. Yeah. But every, like every coach has got to be a little optimistic about their athletes. What's supposed to say? Oh, I don't think Jordan, there's no chance for Jordan. I think it was truthful when he said she's in a good place mentally. That's what's most important. You know, talent doesn't go away. Essentially. I think that part is true. But whether she can return to the top of the sport, huge, huge question marks. But there's life after running for everyone, no matter how good you are. Mo Farah seeing those equations. Jordan, I have no idea how old she is. Let's see here, John. Well, get, John, let's see she it. She was, okay, she was my year in high school. So is she younger or older than me, though? That's the question. I think she was a little... I think she was older. I'm going to guess she was born in September of 1990. 
Oh, wow. No, 91, John. She's September young. of 91? Yes. Oh, so she was clearly young for her grade because she was my graduating class in high school. So how old was she when you graduated? She would have been 17 when she graduated high school. Wow. All right, guys. Well, tune in next week for another episode of Guest Professional Runners Birthdays with Jonathan Gold and Weldon Johnson. No, I'm just kidding. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. So much more podcast content coming your way this week. It's going to be terrific. We're going to have Yard Nagus and Woody Kincaid interviews coming for you tomorrow. And then on Friday, Friday 15, join it. Let's run.com slash subscribe to join the supporters club. Get your Friday 15. If you feel like giving me a birthday present, you're giving, you're getting stuff for this too, guys. You're getting a weekly one. It's We call it the Friday 15. It's usually about an hour. That's every week. We get supporters club members get access to all articles. You get an ad-free message board experience. You get great discounts on shoes and training gear. Pays for itself, really. So make sure you sign up for that. But yeah, it's gonna. Be, I'm super excited to talk all this track, guys. And then we got the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix on Saturday. We'll break that down on the podcast next week. Yes, 100 percent of the proceeds to Jonathan Gold if you sign up by Friday. Joey, we're going to pay you all these American record interviews. Now we're not, so no one signs up. <laughs> Just kidding, people. Sign up for John. Sign up for John. Sign up for John. Hit that chip jar.